Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 90 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest comes to us from our friends over at Interview Connections, uh, and his name is Ira Wolf. Ira is ranked by Thinkers360 as the number one global thought leader and influencer in the future of work category and top 20 for leadership. He has been described as a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body and the world's first chief Googleization officer. Ira has been dancing with change his entire professional life, profoundly shaped by both his fascination and fear of a VUCA future. And we'll talk about what that means in the show, uh, where the line between reality and science fiction blur. VUCA was also his TEDx idea worth sharing. Now, for 25 years, Ira has been at the leading edge of pre-hire and leadership assessments, recruitment marketing, and workforce trends. He is president of Poised for the Future Company, founder of Success Performance Solutions, and a popular presenter at SHRM and business conferences. He's the author of six books, including his latest, and one we'll talk about a bit today, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. This book has been recognized as one of the best HR and recruiting books of all time by Book Authority. Ira is also founder of the Googleization Nation community, host of the podcast Geeks Geezers Googleization, and a frequent contributor to HR and business blogs, including Cornerstone On Demand's Rework and Media. As you can see, this guest is uh, an expert in all things about the future of work and using Google uh, and what he calls Googleization uh, to get your organization moving down that path. Now, I know that was kind of a lengthy intro, but Ira's had a lot of success and a lot of background uh, with the things that we're going to talk about. And I thought it was very important for you all to uh, really embrace uh, who will be speaking with us for the next hour or so. So with that, I want to shut my mouth, get out of the way, and let you dive right into this outstanding interview with Ira Wolf. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Brian, and my guest today is Ira Wolf. Ira, thanks for joining us. Earl, it's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, and I hope uh, you are well and everyone's safe. 
Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I appreciate that. And with everything still going on, I can't believe we're coming up on a year of dealing with this uh, pandemic stuff, huh? It's It really is amazing to think that this is where we are a year later, and it seems like we're just starting. But we, we have a, we'll have a good discussion about that and, and where things are headed. No, absolutely. Well, before we get into all that, let me start you off where I start everybody. Uh, when you hear the phrase, burden of command... What does that mean to you? Wow, that's such an interesting question because my first reaction when I saw that was that it's a burden. It's um, a challenge. It's, you know, it's, it's, wearing, it's something I got to carry around. Uh, but the flip side of that is that it's about responsibility. Um uh, of of being of being a leader uh, of being not not in charge but being able to inspire uh, to be able to see opportunity where other people see crisis uh, which is a good sign of a leader so I, I think it's it's one of those I, I forget the name of the word when a word has a double meaning uh, that burden can can mean um, kind of a weight on your shoulders. Uh, or it could mean uh, a responsibility you have, and uh, that creates opportunity. Mm, no, I like that, and that's you know that's really becoming the uh, uh, the running theme uh, is is responsibility, and, and I like it because that's kind of how I view it too. Is is that burden is 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 the responsibility to take care of those folks that you that have chosen to follow you. Uh, so I like that answer. Um, so, you know, for my listeners, uh, if they didn't pick up on the, the bio there, uh, you have really kind of made a, uh, I'll say, I'll, I'll use the word career. You made a career around uh, change and embracing change and helping people get comfortable with change. And uh, you've really kind of latched on to something that, uh, you know, a lot of folks in the military have at least heard. But I would imagine even most of them really don't understand what VUCA really means or stands for. So uh, unpack that a little bit. What is VUCA and why is it so important? Excellent question. And I, I like that you said unpack it. That was going to be my word because there's a lot in there. So let's unpack that. Uh, VUCA, which is V-U-C-A, represents volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. It was uh, The military is given credit for originating that, uh, but in reality, it was uh, Warren Bennis, uh, who was uh, kind of a renowned scholar on leadership, one of my favorite people over the years. Uh, and I can't I, I want to give credit to his partner or his colleague. Uh, and I'm, I'm just drawing a blank on his name. But Warren Bennis in the mid 80s came up with that. And then it was adopted by the uh, Army War College in the early 90s. And for those who were around or not know their history, you'll, you'll realize that in 1989, the Berlin Wall came down, a uh, famous Reagan moment, uh, and that changed the dynamics uh, to the world we live in today, where the military recognized that our future enemies would not necessarily be sovereign countries. It wouldn't necessarily be the U.S. going to war with Germany or Japan. Uh, or England, or whoever it might be, but the that wars in the future would be 
against non-sovereign nations, terrorist groups, uh, that our threats would be cyber uh, cyberspace. Uh, uh, it would be, uh, as I said, the Al-Qaeda's of the world. And they wouldn't necessarily have one homeland that we can invade and, you know, get rid of them. Uh, and so they looked at the world as moving faster, changing quicker, being un- so it's being volatile, being more uncertain, much more complex. And there wasn't always one right answer. And the reality is, is 2020 sort of brought all that home. The, prior to that, uh, businesses were, for the last 20 years, businesses adopted VUCA as a business uh, as an environment in which they had to develop their business strategy. Uh, but no one truly embraced how quickly things can change. I think no one embraced the volatility of that. And everybody anticipated that if we're smart people and we plan, we're going to be at least on pace with the pace with the rate of change. Uh, 2020 proved a lot of people wrong. <laughs> we were not prepared. Uh, it exposed so many vulnerabilities. It exposed so many, so many good things, and we could talk about that as well, and some of our strengths, but it certainly uh, exposed the vulnerability of our healthcare system, our logistic system, our, our political system, our education system, uh, things that everyone thought we had time to adapt because people failed to accept what volatile meant. No, I, and I like the way you ended that because I was getting ready to, to ask you the question. You know, to, to most people, uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and amb- ambiguity, they sound like pretty much the same word, describe, the, a different word describing the same thing. So what are the key differences between those words? Well, volatility has to... Uh, do with the, well, not only pace of change, uh, but shift. It has to do with shift that, that one minute you could be working in a slope, something slow could happen. The calm before the storm, the next minute it's up and down. Uh, a very good example, recent example for anybody who follows the stock market or, or just stories, uh, was what happened just recently with GameStop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the stock, uh, you know, it, it, it was basically a faltering retail gaming system. Um, and I mean, it was doing OK because of gaming, but it certainly it was questionable what its heyday was. Uh, AMC movie theaters, uh, certainly in crisis. And then all of a sudden, one day, the stock goes up a couple hundred percent. Uh, you know, how does that happen? That's volatility out of nowhere something happens and then you go back to the calm and then all of a sudden something else comes out of nowhere. Uh, unlike uh, the, you know, the, the question is there's a, there's a whole theory out there, um, uh, uh, a model and uh, the black swan model. Uh, mm-hmm. If you, if for those who are familiar with it, it came from finance to leave the, um, drawing a blank on his name, but uh, Talib N- N- Nissan uh, or Nissan Talib, and uh, it, it, when the the markets crashed in two thousand and eight, uh, two thousand seven, two thousand and eight, when the the financial markets crashed, um, he came up with the term that it was a black swan event. 
that it was unpredictable uh, and that it was catastrophic and it just came out of nowhere. And that's volatile. Mm-hmm. But there are sometimes uh, they basically people can say, oh, yeah, the pandemic would be a black swan event. Well, not under that criteria because it was predictable. There, Bill Gates predicted it. Uh, lots of people predicted it um, five to ten years before. We knew it was coming, but we just didn't prepare for it. Right. So, But we can get into the weeds on the volatility. But volatility just means that you're expecting something to, to happen and something out of the blue, out of left field, uh, comes about. Uh, uncertainty is the result of that, which means that if we can't predict when we have all these events, because we live in such a complex world now that everything's not straight line. Uh, if A happens, if, if you have A and you move in one direction, then B occurs. That, that doesn't exist anymore. So now we have this complex life uh, world that we live in this fluctuating, dynamic, fluid matrix uh, of events. Uh, so again, that creates volatility. And then the ambiguity is, that either because we don't have the time to uh, come up with a good response, we don't have the resources, the intellect uh, to come up with the resources. Sometimes we have to make choices. We have to do the best we can with the information and the resources we have. Uh, And that says, hey, there may not be, maybe it's not a binary choice. Maybe the best response isn't A, B, or C. Maybe it's D, E, or F. Uh, or maybe we're not even thinking about what the right answer. So volatility really has to do with just shift, uh, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity are probably responses, uh, the best we have, the best responses we have to, to that shifting tide. Yeah, well, and I'm glad you brought up the uh, the stock market thing because, you know, when you're given that uh, kind of definition of or, or that origin story, if you will, of VUCA about how, uh, it came about as, you know, facing non-traditional uh, enemies, if you will. And we heard it uh, referred to during the global war on terror as uh, asymmetric threats. So it's had a lot of different mm-hmm. names. But, you know, when, when you look at what happened recently with the stock market, I think that fits that definition very, uh, very neatly because... You know, from what I've been able to gather, like the root of that was just a bunch of folks on Reddit kind of organizing how they were going to uh, invest in these shorted stocks and artificially inflate the prices. And that's not something that anybody ever had really seen before outside of a, uh, you know, outside of like a major brokerage firm, just your average kind of Internet, you know, Reddit kind of gets a... uh, uh, a reputation for being kind of that den of geeks, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they just turn the stock market on, on its ear, like you said. So, so, so going back to that unpredictable, predictable side, there's probably people, I, I won't say you were all, but there's probably, I, I know there's people much smarter than myself that, that probably sat in the room and said, uh, could there be a group that just uh, shifts the market? They, they either crash a, a, a particular product or they elevate a product, uh, whatever it is, uh, on demand. And, you know, was anybody as specific as saying, you know, we need to watch for the people on Reddit 
that would be that type of a group. Um, and I'm sure in many of whether it's the government or in the SEC or with the on the stock of the exchanges of somebody said that would could never happen. You know, people would say that. Right. Uh, and then all of a sudden it does. And then did they predict how quickly it could happen? Because people will anticipate, well, if we put these safeguards and precautions and it and we're aware that it could happen, therefore, we'll be able to nip it in the bud. And things just now can happen at such an accelerating pace that volatility is part of our new uh, of the new normal. And I don't like the new normal term, but uh, whatever whatever era we're moving into, new normal, new po- normal 2.0. Somebody says it's now normal 2.0 or 3.0. Whatever it is, uh, our existence will. We're going to have to become uncomfortable with volatility and uncertainty. Well, yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, just I don't want to necessarily keep harping on on the the stock market thing there, but it's a really good example we have live, and it, it shows, you know, uh, with with the stuff that happened today. Uh, and when I say today, for listeners' reference, this is uh, January twenty eighth. But it gives a good reason as to why companies should be a little bit more aware of this because as of today, there have been at least a handful of class action lawsuits filed against the trading app Robinhood Mm -hmm. because their response to this volatility was to, uh, on their own, shut down trading of these stocks on their app. And they're getting sued uh, by their by their client base for depriving them the uh, ability to take advantage of what was going on. Yeah. So how can so, companies yeah, go ahead? Yeah. So it's really interesting. And I just want to, you know, I guess the, the underlying theme here is that, that our, a, a traditional response would be that we need to become better at planning at scenario planning of thinking through these things. And that's absolutely the case, but the, a, the better response, the appropriateness is we need to do better scenario planning, but we also need to become comfortable with uncertainty mm-hmm. that there is no way to plan for every possible scenario. And that where in the past, they were really freakish events. They were the once every hundred year event. You know, it's the pandemic once every hundred year that the market goes through cycles. They go through ups and downs. The problem is, is that the frequency of these events is happening more often and the, the depth and the, uh, the depths and the rise, the, the heights that these cycles take are greater than ever. Uh, we can look at climate change, mm-hmm. uh, that now we have this year, we had a record number year of hurricanes and the number that reached, uh, category four were higher than, than ever. Uh, the damage that done that is done is greater, and yet we may have uh, you know times that we have calm, and we have times that we have more hurricanes or earthquakes or or, or catastrophes. So climate was one for the financial markets, the huge swings. It used to be uh, you know pretty dramatic if uh, the market went up. You know if if they released the job. Here's another thing that boggles my mind. I, I lived in a time, and you likely did too, when if the job number was bad, the market collapsed. Mm-hmm. And if, if they came out and they said, we had 
record employment this month uh, and the and the unemployment rates dropped, that the market went sky high. You have no clue how it's going to react anymore. The, they come out and they say, we have record employment claim, unemployment claims and the market goes up. <laughs> we we uh, the, the unemployment rate drops by 2%, by, by 0.2% and the market uh, goes down. Yeah. Um, that's volatility. And, and what we need to be com- comfortable with is the loss of predictability and the, um, I, I guess, the growth of uncertainty. Well, right, right. And, and, you know, another great example of what you're talking about, and I think this is, is a cautionary tale for all uh, leaders, especially, uh, you know, high-profile CEO types, is I don't know if you remember, goodness, it's probably been close to 15 years or so ago now, uh, shortly after Steve Jobs announced his health concerns, you remember the, the hoax of his death uh, that, that triggered the, the, uh, the crater in mm-hmm. Apple stock? Right. Right. But, exactly. And the, the reason behind that was, is there was a lot of, uh, well, the stated reason behind that was, is there was uncertainty in the future of Apple because there was no clear line of succession in place and, and what the company would look like without the wizard himself, Steve Jobs. And so how can, how can an organization incorporate their succession planning as a way to kind of account for some of that uncertainty? Well, I have been spending my time, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly been involved with change throughout my life. Didn't necessarily think that that was abnormal, by the way. Uh, I thought that everybody had change and apparently not. Uh, the When I did my TED Talk, which was just a little over four years ago, I started out talking about that for, you know, looking back, I've for my entire life, I've danced with change. I actually had a, a photograph of me you know, dancing with a, a change, a figure that represented change. Nice. Uh, the, but we're, we're not very, as humans, we tend to prefer stability. Not that we prefer status quo, but that predictability. We like to have the choice when we have to change or gradually move into it. Uh, that's human nature. We are losing that luxury, and humans and organizations aren't quite adaptable. So I've been spending a lot of time over the last year studying something, well, studying adaptability, how, how we as humans become, become more adaptable, uh, and got involved with the group that was, they were a little ahead of me and they were doing a lot of research on it, uh, of developing like the IQ, the EQ, the emotional intelligence and our intelligence quotient. Um, is there an adaptability quotient? Uh, and, and if there was, that meant we could measure how adaptable people were, how change ready people were. And then what can we do to help people become more comfortable with, as we talked about, uncertainty and volatility. And, and again, being in the HR world and, and assessment world, this all fit in nicely. So we, we, we ended up identifying six, 15 different dimensions that impact an individual's ability to adapt, to be change ready, uh, to be more comfortable with, with uncertainty and complexity. And there were five personal abilities. And what's the nice thing about this is we identify, we, the research shows uh, both science and both um, the social sciences and also the, uh, the uh, 
psychology, uh, psychometric world, was able to identify these as abilities. And if it's an ability, it means you can teach people to do it. Mm -hmm. And the five abilities are grit, resilience, mental flexibility, uh, growth mindset, and unlearning. Not learning, but unlearning. Mm. So if if I can, let me just take a second or so and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of uh, help define what each of those are. Absolutely. So, so we hear a lot about grit, especially over the last few years with Angela Duckworth. You, you've probably heard that. Mm-hmm. And people say, we, and I get called, uh, you know, my business success performance solution. What we do is pre-employment and leadership testing. So I can't, there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't get an inquiry about, do you have a test that can measure grit? What, and it's a good, it's, it's good. But it, what grit measures is endurance. Can you survive? Um, resilience is the ability to bounce back from setback. And both of those fit hand in hand. But I'm going to give you an example where we're uh, on a continuum where they fit. Okay. So uh, from we, we talk about flex, people talk about being flexible. We need people to be that's that's the common answer. We need to be more flexible, more agile. Flexibility, going back to my predictable and unpredictable, flexibility indicates that we react to change um, if it's an, a predictable event. So something happens and you and I decide we need to change our direction. We're, we, we see a roadblock and we have a choice. We'll go right or left or we can bear through it. Um, the agility really is more of an organizational type of um, flexibility, I guess, if you will. Uh, but agility allows people to be a little bit more responsible to unpredictable events. But that doesn't necessarily infer that you are resilient, that what happens if there's a setback? What happens if I, if I can go to the right, I can go to the left, I can go forward, I can take a step back? But then if I fail, how quickly can I rebound? How quickly can I recover? Because not everything is a binary choice. Uh, so resilience is – flexibility was just that bending, putting yourself into a pretzel. Uh, resilience is once the event's over is going back to your original shape. But we can't go back. There is no going back to 2019. We mm-hmm. can't rewind the clock. We can't say a lost year. Let's go back to the way it was. That's not going to happen institutionally, societally, globally, or individually. Uh, so we need to bounce forward. And how do you bounce forward? Well, grit is part of that, with, which is, uh, I guess my explanation of grit is that, that Hummer, that, that huge military vehicle breaking through a brick wall an impenetrable brick wall coming out the other side unscathed. But on the other side, the vehicle is the same vehicle it was before. It just survived. It just got through that. What we need to do as individuals and organizations is we need to learn through all these events, through whether you respond flexibly, agilely, um, through resilience or grit, that we as individuals and organizations learn how to grow bigger but also to grow stronger. And that's where adaptability comes in. And adaptability really embraces the grit, resilience, mental flexibility is that uh, dealing with ambiguity, dealing with, uh, you know, I describe mental flexibility as listening to CNN, Fox News, and and, um, 
and uh, and MSNBC at the same time and saying, not saying, oh, I can't stand what I hear on the other channel, but hmm, if we combine all that, it sort of makes sense <laughs> uh, <laughs> that there's some good in all of that and there's some fake news in all of that. Uh, it's the ability to decipher. Uh, growth mindset is is our, our ability to take some risks and fail and make mistakes. And the unlearning is like defragging a hard drive. We have so many beliefs that we've learned, uh, especially if you're you know, a little older, uh, you got years of experience, you go, this is tried, true, and tested. If we do it this way, we know that in the other end, it will eventually work out. And that's not true anymore. Some tried, true, and tested methods uh, don't, and behaviors don't hold up. So we have to learn how to make room in our heads uh, for what should we keep that is still valuable, what is on its way out, and what should we put, to, put in an archive somewhere. We're not telling you to forget the memory, to erase it. But we got to compartmentalize it. Um, so the adaptability is sort of where we're all going, where we need to go, both individually and organizationally. Uh, we need to teach people how to have uh, a better AQ uh, adaptability quotient. No, a hundred percent. As you were talking, you, you reminded me of a of a couple of. Uh stories and quotes that that i really love and like the so i'll start with the last one first there what you're talking about with the unlearning reminds me of uh this there, there's a famous story about albert einstein and uh somebody asks him to recite pi and he basically just says 3.14 and they look at him and say keep going and he goes he essentially says that's all i know and they're like but you're one of the greatest mathematicians on the planet that's all you know and he goes why do i need to know more i can look up the rest and, and Google, that, <laughs> right. but that, that, that really is the question we talk about with Google these days is, is that we taught people to memorize. And the reality is, is you don't have to memorize. You just need to have to look it up. Yeah. Right. Well, and that was the interesting thing. Like, uh, when I was in, in the Marines, um, that was the one thing that they always told us is like, you don't always have to know the answer, but you have to know how to find the answer quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was exactly what you're talking about. And, and the other one you said there, and I think this is very, very brilliant, is when we talk about resiliency and all that, we, we look at it as getting back to where we were, but that's not really good enough. If we get right back to where we were, we didn't gain anything. We should get back to, we should get back to where we were plus something that we gained through the process, Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and that fits in line with the uh, what uh, all of this. I was trying to help people make sense of it. And again, people are struggling and they came up with similar to the five stages of grief. Um, I came up with the four stages of adaptability. And you a lot of people have have are in crisis. They're collapsing. Uh, they're in the hole. Uh and, you know, those, you need a lot of skills to, to help with that. But the other skill, the, the next stage is, so we go from collapsing to coping. There's a lot of people that are just trying to keep their head above water. They're run, you know, whether you want to talk about running on the treadmill, running in place, uh, you're, you know, running the, the, uh, the cage, the, the hamster in the cage. We're running faster and faster, trying to keep pace. Uh, those are all coping skills. Flexibility, agility, 
resilience help you stay in place? It helps you survive, but it doesn't help you thrive. And that's an important distinction. I'm not saying that resilience is bad and grit is bad. We need those. But if the, if you only rely on bouncing back, um, you know, I, I have an image of a weeble, you know, the, the old punching bag. You knock it down, it comes back. You knock it down, it comes back. Right. Uh, but, it, but it doesn't help you advance. So how do you cross that threshold? How do you go from collapse to coping to growing? And, and the, def, the very definition of growing just means to become bigger. Uh, it doesn't mean better, but it means bigger. And, you know, certainly grit fits into that role. Uh, and learning fits in there. But in order to thrive, we need to become adept at the grit and resilience and the mental flexibility and the growth mindset and the unlearning. And so there's a roadmap of how do we help people thrive, not just survive, because helping people cope is not going, is not a good long-term strategy. Yes, maybe it's good for 2021 to get people back to some semblance of normal, but then what? Because 2022 is going to be different than 2021. Mm -hmm. And if people just kind of get comfortable again, it's like, we, you know, we, we escape that, that <laughs> event. Uh, they wake up and the world's different outside. Uh, it's going to be very different. We're not going back to a, everybody's not going to get called back to work because a lot of the workplaces are no longer there. Uh, nationwide insurance used to have 20 locations across the country. They're narrowing it down to four regional centers. Mm. Uh, that means a lot. Now, it doesn't mean people won't go to co-working environments. It doesn't, it does you know, that's all out there. But there are, you know, people that went to these 16 other centers are not going to go back to the same physical location with the same co-workers and the same managers as they did in 2019. Yeah. Well, no, and, and you're right. And that's the thing. Like, I hear people talk about normal a lot, and you mentioned it earlier. And, you know, uh, I think I've mentioned this to my listeners before, but I'm a little bit of a uh, sci-fi nerd, and I like me some Star Trek. And uh, I happen to be watching Star Trek uh, Generations not long ago. There was this outstanding exchange and I always find it interesting where you find words of wisdom uh, but there's this exchange between kind of the the bad guy in the movie uh, Soren and Data the android and Soren uses the word normal and Data looks at him and says how do you define normal and Soren looks at him and goes it's a good question he goes I suppose normal is what everybody else thinks you are not <laughs> and I thought that was the perfect way to define normal because that's what it boils down to. Normal is a perception, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I talk about, I mentioned this earlier real, real quickly that I struggle with uh, getting back to normal, certainly uh, what you said. I, I actually wrote an obituary about normal and I talked about normal died. Uh, Mr. You know, it's Mr. Normal died and everyone's mourning him. Uh, and he left behind his wife, consistency, and his child, um, constant. Mm -hmm. uh, and so everybody's mourning that loss. And just like people, we mourn loss. We remember all the, the things. But when, when in reality, it wasn't always 
you know, uh, apple pie and ice cream. Um, right. You know, we, we, we want to remember people, the best of people, but everything wasn't always smooth. Uh, so, and especially if we go back to 2019 uh, or the past, uh, it was, well, it was brilliant what you just said. Uh, we talk about normal. So who's talking about normal? Uh, the minorities, the blacks, the, the uh, people, the poor. Um, do they really, do you really want to go back? I mean, I know there's people that want us to go back to that. Uh, they're trying very, very hard, right. especially in some states and in our legislatures. But the reality is, do you really want to go? Not everybody wants to go back yeah. to the way it was. And we shouldn't go back to the way it was. So, so, but unskilled, um, there, there was a survey, a few surveys out. One just came out by Deloitte too, uh, that identified that only about one out of every five people, uh, have the ability to adapt, mm-hmm. the, the ability to keep pace. So one of my roles, one of my passions has been in, in coordination with uh, the AQ group, AQAI group over uh, in the UK is their purpose. And I've adopted it purely, uh, is, is to help a hundred million people not left, be left behind mm. because we were having skill gaps. We were having education gaps. We were having poverty gaps, gender gaps, pay equity gaps before it's only going to be exacerbated. Because the skills that we need to go forward are much greater, which is also very interesting because this Deloitte and and multiple studies, but the Deloitte study identified adaptability to be one of the top three skills uh, that people need moving forward. And prior to 2020, it wasn't on the list. We -hmm. talked about critical thinking. We talked about technology, technological savvy. They talked about curiosity and creativity. Um, last year, all of a sudden, empathy, inclusion came, made the list, but near the top of the list was adaptability, came out of nowhere. Uh, and so recognized by CXOs, companies, corporations, organizations, and a lot of people is we need to help people not necessarily become better educated. We need that too, <laughs> teaching right. job skills. Yes. But part of that is if they have a job skill, but they're not fluid, they're not they're not adaptable. That's it's not going to help. No, no, it's not. And and you bring up a very good point there. And and with all the change that uh, twenty twenty brought, you know, everybody really focuses on the pandemic. But uh, you know, we had the kind of spring and summer of of social justice unrest and. And that really sparked a lot of organizations to really kind of take notice. And, and hopefully that carries over, uh, you know, but we've also noticed that in that same time frame uh, that a lot of those same uh, kind of minority and underserved populations are getting hit the hardest by, uh, by the unemployment crisis that the pandemic has brought. And on the other side of this, when we do get there and we will get there despite what a lot of we people will. seem to think, we uh, but we're going to have this monster talent pool available. How can organizations really uh, kind of get into that pool and find those top tier candidates that maybe some of these other organizations, uh, you know, have had, had to let go or, 
through short-sightedness have let walk out the door during the pandemic? What an amazing question. And while you were asking that and framing that, my mind was going all over the place. So I'll try to bring it into some picture. So there are three conversations that I have had and will have in the next 24 hours. And one was about, I'm interviewing uh, Dr. Gordon. And by the time this airs, it'll, it'll probably be up on my website. Um uh, but um, he's, he's a labor economist. Uh, he's been studying workforce trends. He's been predicting the job skills shortages. And he's releasing a new white paper. And uh, I interview him once a month on what are some of the, the trends we have. And exactly as you said, the skills gap is going to be extraordinarily wide. The demand for skilled labor, which is high pay, high skill, high pay jobs, uh, is skyrocketing. And the U.S. is not just is not creating any more high pay, low skilled jobs. It just mm-hmm. it's just not competitive. So there are going to be a ton of people out there in demand, but the and the competition is going to be fierce. So companies have to really improve how they recruit. Uh, and which leads me to a call I was on this morning. It was about HR technology, some of the smartest people that are out there. Uh, and I, I asked the question in there and I said, it sort of seems like what they call the HR, HR technology stack that you get a, you know, the, the original spreadsheet and then you get an ATS and then you get an HIRS system. Uh, and then something we need to have an onboarding system. Oh, we need to focus on diversity and inclusion. Oh, we need to have a different payroll system. So everybody is, so we patch, uh, all these pieces of technology on a framework that looks like a Jenga uh, uh, tower. <laughs> you know, if you're familiar with Jenga, yeah. you know, the stacks of that, it won't take much to tip it over and break it. Uh, so I, I, plat- I, again, these are some of the smartest people that are out that I know that are out there. I said, so what you're talking about for the next few years, we're basically know that we're on the Titanic, but we're going to find better ways to, to rearrange the furniture. And the answer was, yeah. I mean, everybody laughs and go, yeah, that's pretty much where we are. Uh, But the good news is that companies do, going back to answer your question, companies do a horrible job, uh, frankly, at communication. They employ all this technology, but you know what's missing? They don't respond to candidates. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the number one complaint, I was just reading a report about the talent from the talent board, which re- does an amazing study every year. And the number, one of the, one of the number one complaints, there's a bunch of them, uh, is that, that you could apply to 50 companies and you may only hear from one or two. And then if you hear from one or even you get acknowledged, then they don't, you don't hear back after an interview. And it could take weeks and months, if ever, that you get a response. And if you get a response, it might be a cold and corporate email. Hey, thanks very much for applying. Uh, we had an amazing group of people that applied, uh, and uh, sorry, your qualifications didn't fit. And that's it. Right. Um, losing the impact, the, the effect that those are potential customers. Those are people on the other end of that. And so, um, you know, if I have a word of advice, what companies could do better moving forward, how what they can do differently is they have to improve their communication with candidates before 
before they apply, and you go, how can I know before they apply? Uh, people search your websites. What's your website look like? How do you communicate? Do you have a newsletter? Capture their names. If they do apply, respond to them. Talk to them like human beings. Um, you know, have more. Uh, you can do it through chat. You can do it through text. I mean, there's a million ways that you can even automate this and become more personable, more human-like. Uh, and then uh, also on the employee side, the employee experience side, my my guest yesterday, that's what we were talking about. And uh, people focus on, uh, well, we do an employee engagement survey once a year. Um, employee engagement surveys are going the way of the annual performance review. <laughs> they, they, uh, they, get rid of them. Right. Uh, they they, because you don't respond fast enough. You take a survey and it takes you six months to respond. And by then, it's, it's in that, it, the data is out of date. So we, we need to become more responsive um, is probably a really good word. Uh, we, we need to put the H and HR back, you know, the human and, and HR back. Uh, we need to be we definitely need to become more efficient. Uh Good news for people that are listening out there and go, yeah, we're a small company or, you know, oh, yeah, we just got a new piece of technology. That'll fix it. Or we got a new HR, you know, VP. Um, the reality is, is the bar is set so low to compete for top talent that you don't have to be really good. You just have to be better than you are today or yesterday. Uh, and and work on it. It's a continuous process. There is no piece of technology that's going to fix that. So, uh, you know, in, in between talking with uh, Dr. Gordon, uh, who who is, you know, really um, uh, worried, <laughs> worried is not is even a mild term of what the future beholds unless we change the way we educate people uh, if we if we talk to people that are recruiting in companies that are really struggling even in today's market, uh, they're saying it's harder than ever. Uh, we need to change the way we do things. And as I said, good news for companies. It's uh, you don't have to be really good. You just have to be. Yeah, you definitely have to change and you have to be better than the next guy. Uh, we we also uh, collectively as a group, we need to we need to really take a serious look at our education system. Um, we, it's amazing that it adapted as well as it did, but, you know, you mentioned before that this, the, it, it adapted for people that could afford it or were in good areas. But, uh, we have many, many people that literally lost a year of education that they probably won't get back through the education system uh, and if they don't have the money, the funds and support, they'll never get it back, which only deepens the the poverty uh, gaps. Uh, so we, we had a lot of work to do, which on the good news is we, we got some smart people, a lot of resources, a lot of attention given to it. But it's not going to be easy. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, you said something there that I liked about the, the uh, well, you said a lot of stuff there that I like. But one of the things you said I like was the communicating uh, beforehand and. And that was my stance. You know, remember a few years ago, millennials were constantly getting beat over the head for changing jobs every three to four years. And you know, I told folks, I said, you know, all that tells me is we have a we have way too many organizations out there who don't live up to what their stated values really are, uh, because that's what people look for when they go to an organization is what does the organization stand for? What is it about? And when you don't live up to those things, you see people leave uh, as quickly as they can. 
Um, you know, the other thing we talk about, uh, the education piece, and I'm a little bit of a weirdo when I look into the future. Uh, but, but I see a, I see a huge education shift coming, especially with some of the things that you're talking about with these, uh, softer skill sets being a little bit more desired where education almost becomes more of a responsibility of the, the organization. You know, you hire for the fit, you hire for those soft skills, and then you train the hard skills that your organization actually needs. Um, and I think that would be a great way to close some of those gaps because, you know, we talk about these minority and underserved uh, populations, and then you look at those resilience, adaptability, grit, and all of those things that we've talked about through this podcast, they have all of those in bucketfuls. What they really don't have is that opportunity uh, to really put those skills at work for a lot of reasons. Sometimes people just won't give them a chance. Sometimes due to family circumstances, they can't uh, take advantage of any of the education opportunities that are out there. Uh, you know, I think it's Yale has the free tuition program for uh, these populations. People can't take advantage of them because they can't afford to live where Yale is. Uh, so, you know, that's a right. program that has a great purpose, but it, it's not executable. Um, but, a, but a lot of those programs are now online. Right. You know, a lot of the universities put those online, which is also interesting, as you were talking about, to become smarter. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of data that we have uh, that doesn't get utilized, especially in HR. HR collects more data than anybody and, and to date has not been putting into good use. But uh, um, uh, again, uh, it will probably it'll be, be somewhere in, I think, the second week of February. I'm interviewing somebody that has a company, uh, he, he started this company as a startup, uh, is, it's Elevate You. Uh, and what they're looking at, they're, they're leveraging AI and they're measuring the learning experience and the responsiveness and they're helping design. So the programs that are how education is being delivered is being adopted to the way people responded to it mm-hmm. um so you, you and again we've talked about in many ways the consumer experience is certainly getting not only democratized but it's getting personalized that you know we can go up on uh you know you go up on amazon and they know your preferences probably better than you do because alexa <laughs> and everybody else is listening yeah. uh, but why can't we do that in education why can't we personalize education? Why can't a teacher use technology and deliver it to the, to the same classroom um, to individual students slightly different? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how can that be done? And part of it is because it was a shotgun blast before. You know, let, let's try it this way. Let's all, we'll, we had this magical experiment last year. Let's have, let's teach, and overnight, we'll teach um, everybody through Zoom, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, using Zoom. Well, it's a different experience. In person is not digital. Uh, the way you teach in person is not there, but then how everybody received it and the environments that they were learning in was not there. You take away the socialization, that changes the whole experience. So how can we 
personalize it? How can we also safeguard ourselves for future events? And one is through the use of technology. But if we just slap on technology to the education system, that's not going to work because we have this huge socioeconomic disparity. So, uh, but through those events, we're able to capture data. So let's use the data to improve the education system. And now that fortunately we do have AI or, or, or that ability and we have people that can, can look at the data, uh, we should be able to benefit. Um, uh, but it's happening, going back to our, how we started this volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Um, it's volatile and certainly complex and no one has the answers. So it's ambiguous, but we need to do better. A hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. Laura, we've been talking here for coming up oh, on wow. about 50 minutes, and it has been a fantastic conversation. I really want to uh, thank you for being with me and my guests today, so really appreciate that. Um, is there anything that we haven't had a chance to touch on yet that you would like to leave the listeners with? Well, that's a dangerous subject. We'll be here for hours. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I think we, we gave people a lot to think about. Uh, again, uh, you know, the message I want to leave to, to everybody, uh, everybody has an opportunity to become more successful, to grow, to thrive. Uh, and it doesn't take a ton of work, but uh, every I think the one overlying message is we just need to we each need to become more adaptable. And uh, hopefully people will reach out and and, uh, you know, if I can if I can help you, I, I certainly will. Outstanding. Well, on that note, uh, reaching out, how can people find out more about what it is you do, reach out to you, and, uh, and, and yeah, get in touch with you if they want to work with you? A few things. Um, I have a community, a growing community. It's called Googleization Nation. We didn't talk about Googleization, by the way. but No, we didn't. Uh, that was my book, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. Uh, and then I also get, had geek skeezers in Googleization. So Googleization is really just talking about what we talked about today. Uh, Earl, uh, the convergence of people, technology, and business. So, simple definition. Uh, but you can go to googleizationnation.com. Uh, I send out updates. Uh, we've I've got a podcast, Geek Skeezers Googleization, so you can look that up. Uh, if you want to reach me personally, probably the best way is through LinkedIn. Uh, please reach out, connect with me, to, to, tell tell me, just let me know you you heard me on uh, on this podcast, and uh, we can connect. Uh, and then the website, my company website is successperformancesolutions.com. And uh, you can go up there and learn a little bit more. But uh, again, best place to reach me personally is probably LinkedIn. Oh, outstanding. Well, I'll have all of those. Uh, I have all of those links in the show notes so people can just get to those uh, with one click. But, uh, you know, folks, again, um, you know, I'm going to find it very hard to believe that you listen to this episode and you don't come away wanting to know more about uh who Ira Wolf is and what he does. And so be sure you check on those links and check out, uh, check out his podcast. I've, uh, set through, you know, a couple episodes here and, and a lot of great information on there. I'm a fan. Uh, going to listen to more. So, you know, again, just thank you very much for your time and really appreciate you being with us today. It's my pleasure. Stay safe, everyone. Absolutely. I'll echo that. Stay safe out there. Uh, and if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you know how to reach out burden, dot command at gmail.com 
Uh, just keep what you're doing. I really appreciate all the reviews, all the ratings, all the shares. Uh, you know, it really helps uh, shows grow. I mean, all the platforms work on algorithms, and the better you're, uh, you perform on those, the more visibility you get. And you all have been doing a great job of helping me uh, on that front. So just keep up the great work. And uh, with that, I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.